The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'd like to welcome Nicole Patel, who is the Chief People and Places Officer at Lucid. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy. You know, just to put into context for the listeners, you know, Lucid has been around for nine years. They've raised over 60 million in capital. And a lot of that capital is being used to build out new locations and hire talent, which Nicole's responsible for. So, Nicole, what are some of the challenges when you grow at such a rapid pace in terms of bringing people onto Lucid? Obviously, uh, the challenges are, you know, making sure that we are providing the resources, the most um, important ones, the people to deliver the services and the, the revenue goals we're trying to hit. So, uh, you know, from a revenue perspective, you know, we, we pride ourselves in growing somewhere between 30 and 50 percent year over year um, in growth of uh, customers and revenue um, folks using our platform. And obviously, you've got to have the right people to continue to grow that. Um, when I first started at Lucid in 2014, uh, we were about 50 people. Uh, Patrick had, you know, grown the business to that size, doing a, about $10, $15 million of revenue a year. I mean, the most important thing was to get smart, quick, um, hardworking folks in the door to provide those services and um, who really felt deep passion. Now, five years later, at 450 people are, are closing in on that. Uh, we have to find those same smart, passionate people who obviously know how to scale a company, right? And know how to do what they did, you know, uh, you know, when we were a tenth of the size we are now. So, uh, you know, finding that talent can be challenging. I, I would imagine it starts from how you recruit, right? Like the, the, the strategies, the kind of the criteria in terms of, you know, those soft characteristics of what you're looking for in people. Can you tell us a little bit about just what are the types of people that you look for, the intangible stuff, if you will? Sure, absolutely. You know, at Lucid, if we look for what we've actually uh, codified in our, we have five values here and we talk about them um, in our interview process. We talk about them in our performance review process. We talk about them in lots of ways and how we conduct ourselves. We actually have a biweekly uh, all hands meeting for the entire company where one employee stands up and talks about their favorite value and how they they feel like they're adhering to that value every day at Lucid or how they've aspired to be better at that, that value. But I do think that having that set of values or principles that everyone knows are important to the growth of Lucid, um, it's really helpful in attracting the right people. So, you know, those values, you know, one of them, for example, is curious learning. Um, and there's lots of ways when you're talking to folks about their previous experiences and how they got to where they are in their career, you can start to ask them questions about, how they got to answers and how they had successes at their previous roles um, and how they led a team to do it. And so, you know, having those questions and identifying those values in the interview process 
um, you know, about someone, it really helps us assure that they're the right hire. And that more importantly, they'll be as happy with Lucid as we are with them. Um, You want to make sure that employee engagement exist. And that's a two-way street. So, you know, how much do we think that you are going to add value to the organization and how much are you going to value being here is what's going to keep people here longer. That makes perfect sense. I think sometimes it's really hard to get to those questions or answers during the interview process. Do you guys have multiple people interviewing new people? Like, is there a, a... we do. And sometimes we have this debate about once a year when we kind of review our hiring strategy is why are there so many people talking to employees? And, and there's lots of different theories on this. If you go out and you read what other tech organizations do with right. hiring in teams or not, we tend to have people um, have had between two and four touch points um, of visits to the office slash phone calls before they receive an offer before you get to that step. Okay. Um, and that, those two to four touch points sometimes will include up to seven or eight conversations. And it's really valuable. And we'll ask the, the folks interviewing them. They typically are obviously the hiring manager, um, depending on the role, maybe someone more senior than that, maybe a peer. And everyone knows their role and responsibility in that process, right? And they know what they're looking for when they interview that client. They also know if they're interviewing that person to think about, am I interviewing this person because they are the right next addition to the team I'm growing? Or is it because they're going to be my right, the the peer I want to work with on a day-to-day basis? So being thoughtful about, you know, um, who gives feedback on candidates right? um, and then who makes that decision is really important in getting to the right decision. You know, I find that um, a lot of times when you hire, um, you know, early er, people earlier in their career, making that transition from being a doer to a manager to a leader is, is quite difficult. Is there a process in which you guys employ to to help people get to the next level to to kind of go from independent contributor to then manager? We do, um, and and that is right. We we we've gone as far as identifying folks as you know we call individual contributors or managers. And we have internal trainings that we do. Now I'm a manager. What does this mean for me? And we talk about things like, what does it mean to now have contemporaries in the building who are your managers and valuing your manager's point of views at the same level that you manage the point of views of what used to be your peers, but are now those that can learn from you. Um, It's also like, so how you carry yourself socially, how you carry yourself professionally, you know, um, all those things. We talk about that, um, those those things. And then we also talk about your your real responsibilities and what you're accountable for in terms of having one-on-ones every week. We are a one-on-one culture. All employees should be having one-on-ones on a regular basis with their manager and how you spend that time cultivating that relationship as a manager versus as a peer. We also want people to feel like they have career paths as individual contributors into management if their strengths are in that. And I think that is a very important thing to remember, especially in the technology space. Um, We have, you know, uh, lots of professionals here that are engineers and they're great engineers and they can, uh, you know, have an amazing career track without ever having management responsibilities. So giving our managers the training they need to get to that next level is important, but then also being open to people and giving them the um, freedom to say, you know what, I don't need to be a manager to have a great career. I'd be a great individual contributor because those are my strengths. 
Yeah, that's such a hard balance, right? For even as leaders to kind of see an individual contributor doing so great, you want to give them more, but realizing then, wait, you know what? They're probably stronger as an individual contributor and doing great versus now taking them out of what they're really good at and putting them in a management position. Right. And so it's it's tempting. You have to be a large organization that no longer has to have a lot of player coaches, we call them, right? So in your startup land, you, you have to do all the things, right? You, you wear all the hats, you do all the things, and then you evolve into a place where you have some individual contributors, some managers, but lots of player coaches. And now as we grow to the next stage, we have a little bit more freedom to have you know um, those in ways that we can cultivate those career paths um, you know, equally. How do you balance kind of a global culture or, or, or central culture of an organization and marry that with local culture and values? Is there a secret sauce behind that? I, I, I'm being facetious because I know there isn't, but how do you manage that? Yeah, no, I think the key is um, finding the right balance of your brand and your culture resonating and being consistent globally across all locations while also allowing for those locations to have their own identity based on the country or city they are in um, or based on their point of growth. Um, So I actually co-chair what we call a company priority with my my peer, uh, Ben Hogg, out of our London office. He is responsible for all of our Europe and Asia locations and those. um, And we... We partner and talk about this often, and I think that that has been really what has helped us grow is that not just one person making sure that we are consistently lucid across the globe while opening lots of places and having employees all over, but having a couple of points of view and different perspectives about each of those locations and how we can have a really good balance of individual identity um, coupled with every time I walk into a lucid office, it feels like a lucid office and people are working um, like they are lucid employees. Well, that goes with not just the employees, but it's this layout of the space. It's right. There's, right. there's fine right. details that, that create that culture. So we are uh, currently we are moving into a larger space in London, um, and it is we actually have a team of people over there this week, both from the North America office as well as the London office, working with the designers and saying what are the things that are going to exist in this office. Um, you know, for example, furniture. It seems silly, but you know, this is the same desk I have no matter what office I'm working out of because it looks and feels like a lucid office. Versus, um, you know, in the social and the, the, the lounge spaces and the way they spend their time and they communicate, the way they have meetings. Um, not only is it different country to country, it's different in an office of 10 people versus an office of 200 people. And you just have to embrace that, right? And so when we start to like go the wrong direction, it's when someone in a 200 person office says, but it's working well if we do it this way. And I say it's working well for a 200-person office, but what works well for the people in the 10-person office? Um, you know what? And you know, and, and giving people the freedom, as long as it doesn't create any, you know, you know, negative impact to the organization, let people um, share what's working for them and be a part of the culture creation of their office. 
Do you have an example of an office that had kind of a lucid core values and culture, but it's nuanced in terms of allowing some of the local culture to come in? I mean, London is, is kind of, I think, is one of my best examples. Our London office interviewing was actually a really good one. We were not doing team interviews here. You know, we, we were doing, you know, people come in, they interview with their hiring manager, they interview with uh, maybe another peer, um, they may go through an assessment of some sort, um, and then we go to the next step. Um, in London office, they said, we would like for two to three of the employees basically the team they'd be a part of to interview them together. And we'd also love to give an, a, you know, a, for that person to present to us on something, an interesting topic. And it wasn't something we were doing in the U.S. office, but it was something that the leader of that office wanted to cultivate. Basically, I saw it as an opportunity for them to start a, you know, group or team dialogue even before the person was an employee of the organization. And it felt a little bit more feelsy. It kind of opened up more space for um, conversation that was not as um, intentional or as um, policed, if I do say so, a little less American of us, right? To, um, you know, make sure that we're saying all the right things and doing it the right way. Um, but I recognize that, you know, cultural norms are different in the UK and also biases are different in the UK. Um, and there are things that exist in certain countries that don't exist in others. And so we continued with a different interviewing process in that country than we had, um, you know, imported in the U.S. Um, the same thing goes for, you know, how we do our training. So we roll out training and we localize that. In the same way, if you were launching a product to a customer, we have to look at the words in, you know, that marketing material. And does that marketing material resonate with an audience in Germany the same way it resonates with an audience in, you know, uh, the U.S. or in Mexico or Canada or one of these other places? The answer is usually no, right? Because the audience is different. So in the same way that we have to think about how we change you know, our words, our vocabulary, our approach in attracting customers to work with Lucid. We have to think about that also when we think about how we attract candidates um, and, and being local in that way. That's a great example. Um, how do you how do you get ongoing feedback from employees? Just given, you know, I think you mentioned that 25% of current employees are roughly around 500 people now. Mm-hmm. 25% is been, of that staff is not been there for more than a year or has been there less than a year. Yes. How do you get feedback from those people? And and I'll, I'll add to that. How do you get feedback from all employees on a regular basis? Sure. So it was interesting. And this is a good example of how you scale getting uh, feedback and communication also. Uh, you know, Lucid of less than 100 people, we had this uh, weekly reoccurring event called Unconference where all the folks in the New Orleans office would huddle together and we would, you know, shoot out Q&As about things that were happening and giving feedback. And they often became things about the space um, or their career paths or different things or just wanting more information about the, the, the intensive lucid and how we grow the culture. And we knew that as we grew into more locations, multiple time zones, we could no longer just all huddle, you know, in our fishbowl in New Orleans to hear communication. So we went out, we found a software and that software allows us to ask questions, one question, two questions, three questions at a time. Um, We are in a cadence right now where we ask two questions every two weeks and those questions have different themes. 
and we're able to report on those themes. So those questions might be about, do you feel like you have a strong career path here? Um, and we'll ask a question like, do you see yourself working at Lucid a year from now? Um, or the question might be, um, you know, do you, do you feel like you understand how your job relates to the product roadmap? And that allows us to get a sense for alignment across the organization. And then every eight weeks or so, we ask the same exact question, which is, how happy are you? Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. And so we have a tracker basically, which is the business we're in, which is great too, right. right? So we're surveying our employees, we're tracking that, we're looking at it quarter over quarter, and we're getting feedback. They're also able to write in answers. Um, are they allowed to have a dialogue with us on a private basis, which allows us to address the needs of people who want to ask something anonymously. And then they have a means to ask a question in a public forum where the whole company gets to see it which allows them to feel the transparency that exists and that we're not afraid of them asking us questions in the open. The other good thing that we do is we start that process of asking questions and getting feedback from employees on their 13th week as employees um, with the idea that they're kind of here long enough, they're kind of over the honeymoon period, um, and we can get some real feedback. But during those first 12 weeks, we're asking them questions that are directly related to the onboarding experience. So once a week, they're getting a question during the first 12 weeks of what they think about the onboarding. Is the content, you know, uh, is it absorbable? Is it relevant? Do they feel like they're getting the information they need? Are they meeting the people they need to meet? Um, are people being kind to them, right? Are you welcomed? Um, and so we're allowed to take data and information about those first 12 weeks, which are so critical, right? And ask it to them in a way that we know that they're generally positive about their new job, but they can give us feedback on their onboarding experience. And then going forward, they feel like they have a place to continue to answer questions around just how they generally feel about their day-to-day work. That's great. So looking ahead, what do you worry about? Is there something you worry about or something that you say, okay, to get to the next level, this is what I really need to focus on now? Sure. As we grow, the need to continue to hire uh, talented, experienced people to help scale the business um, is really critical. And so our hiring efforts become, you know, those of, you know, uh, new sets of skills, new years of experience. And so balancing out, continuing to bring in, you know, new executives and new senior leaders that can be mentors role models, um, and, you know, guide the company to the next level while also, you know, growing the careers of people who started their, you know, their experience and their professional career at Lucid, but also want to go on that career path and continuing to make them feel like they can get to the next level at Lucid. Um, you know, making sure we're doing both of those things because we, we need to make sure that we can uh, attract and retain at every single level in order to have that, you know, diverse group of, employees at different levels and different ranks, because um, I really do believe that as we embrace, you know, every generation of workers and, you know, as we continue to grow our workforce and need to know where do we go out and get our workforce from in a very competitive market, right? Like there are tons of great jobs in a great market right now. Be competitive and keep hiring those folks. And we have to hire all kinds of people, right? We have to make sure that we have diverse and inclusive hiring practices across, you know, all the things, um, you know, different generations and different folks from different places and making sure that that pipeline of folks is really a big top of the funnel um, 
And so that we have lots of different ideas and we are diverse um, internally, both because we have people with lots of years of lucid experience, as well as lots of years of, you know, their experience from other places. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing challenge, but also an amazing opportunity for a lot of people as you kind of grow and mix people with different experiences and and share that with the team, but also give people internally a chance to grow and, and get into other positions. It's that fine balance. It is, it is. And it and it's a lot of work, right? I mean, a part of this is we've grown the people team. You know, it was, you know, one person named Nicole Patel <laughs> five years ago. And now I'm, you know, lucky enough to have a, a team of 13 on wow. the people side and a team of five on the places side. Um, and, you know, people go, wow, that's a big people team. But when you want to be intentional about your most valuable resource, and you want to continue to, you know, provide the programming necessary to attract and retain and be intentional about, uh, you know, programming at the next level in terms of diversity and inclusion and learning and development um, and compensation. You, you, you have to be able to, you know, support folks in a way that it really mandates a really strong team. And, um, you know, I think Lucid has done an excellent job of, of making people its number one priority. Well said. Nicole, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join me on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.